Well, if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, we're actually starting a brand new series this weekend called The Mystery of God. And we're going to be in Ephesians. fact is, we're going to be in Ephesians for quite some time. But we're going to take the first 23 verses and we're going to look at this subject of the mystery of God. Because Paul begins talking about just the mystery of God. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can, if you use version, if you have that app, you can go and search for a live event and you can get our notes that way. And so it doesn't matter to me whether you turn to or you click to, but Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 is where we're going to be today. And we're just going to look at the, four, the first four verses is all we're going to have time today. And Paul is writing this, this letter and this kind of an introductory statement into what he's writing to the church there in Ephesus. And just a little bit about the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was basically a, an affluent white-collar city. And, uh, and as a result of that, there were people meeting Christ, they were coming into the church, but they were still trying to find the good life outside of Christ. They were tr- still trying to find satisfaction, they were still trying to find the good life outside of Christ. And so Paul's message to them was this, that the good life is found first in Christ. The good life is found first in Christ, and then the external takes care of itself. In a lot of ways, we fight the same issue, that there's a lot of believers, there's a lot of people trying to find the good life, whether it's, whether it's through, and they want better things, whether it's a better marriage or better relationships or better career job situation or, or better, better leisure activities, better vacation, better and sharper and more high-def entertainment and sound and all of those other things. And they're, they're pursuing the good life with external things, but Paul would tell us and Paul would remind us about this issue that the good life is, is found in Christ. And so today we're going to look at the blessings of God because I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but there, there's blessings as a Christian. There are benefits in the Christian life, right? It's no different than if you were to take a new job and you would, would talk to them and they offer you a job and then you would want to know about what? You'd know, want to know about the benefits. Uh, what does retirement look like? Is there 401k matching? How many holidays do I got? Get vacation. Uh, what, what, is, what does insurance look like? How does that whole thing work? And, and, and you ask that because it affects not only you, but it affects your family. And the same is true in the Christian life, that there's benefits to being a believer. There's benefits, or what Paul would say, there are blessings to be a believer. I think that if we understood to the depths God's love for us, and we could really grasp it and how deep that is, it would literally blow our minds. Because really and truly when we look at it, it's irrational, it's illogical. That he died for us when we were still sinners. That he loved us before he created the world. He will never leave us, he'll never forsake us. And I think really and truly what Paul is trying to help them understand is just the depths of God's love for us. And that if we could ever grasp that, and understand that, it'd be almost mind-boggling how deep it is. And Paul is saying, the good life isn't found in the external things. The good life is found in Christ. See, we live in a world that teaches us to focus more on the external than the internal. We live in a world that teaches us to, 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 to worry about the condition of our homes and condition of our cars and condition of our portfolio and condition of our careers and professions and entertainment and all of that other stuff. And Paul is like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you got it backwards. You need to rearrange your life to where you understand that the good life comes in, in contentment and peace and a relationship with Christ. And then when that happens, everything else takes care of itself. And so in his introductory statement, 
to the, to the church there at Ephesus. This was a, a, a circular letter, which meant it was first read in Ephesus, and then it made its way around the local churches in their area, uh, had direct application to multiple churches like it has direct application to us today. So here's what Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. We'll read the first four verses, and then we have three principles this morning. This letter is from Paul. So Paul's the writer, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. So this is important. He's writing to believers. He's writing to Christians who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. There is no peace without grace. That's why you always see grace and peace. There is no peace without grace. There is no peace without redemption. There is no peace without forgiveness. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, there's the benefits, in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Three principles this Three principles this morning regarding the blessings of the benefits of God. The first one is this. God has a purpose and a plan for my life. It's just so important for us to grasp this morning that you're not an accident. It doesn't matter the, the events regarding your birth. Uh, that scripture says that God thought of you. God knew you before the creation of the world. And that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Uh, verse 1 and 2, one more time. He said this letter is from Paul. By, by the will of God. To be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May, our God, may, I, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Paul was able to say with a lot of confidence, I am apostle by the will of God. There's comfort in that. There is strength in that. It, it, it is, it is, there is comfort in me being able to say, I am the pastor at Fellowship the Rockies by the will of God. It, it was not because I was the last man standing. It was not because nobody would, else would take the job. It was not because I was voted in by popularity or anything like that. It was because of the will of God. See, there's something comforting. There is something that, is, that gives you and I a strength to know that God has called me to do what I do. In other words, that God has a purpose and God has a plan for my life. And, 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 my, and as a result, my life has great meaning. And see, Paul was able to say, man, God chose me to do this. I mean, he chose me to do this. And, and I'm not an apostle because of my will. I'm not an apostle because I forced it or I made it happen. I'm not an apostle because all the other apostles voted me in. I'm not an apostle because nobody else would do the job. It wasn't because I was in the right place at the right time and I knew the right person. And I climbed up the ladder and I, I made it. I mean, Paul is saying, I am an apostle. Why? By the will of God. God has placed me in this position just as God has placed you in your positions for a reason. And God has a purpose and a plan for your life. It wasn't because Paul had a high view of himself. Watch this, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. He says, for, watch, he says, for I'm, I'm the least of all apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted Christ's church. In other words, what he said, before I became a believer, when I martyred Christians, when I killed Christians, when I persecuted the church, when I tried to do anything I could to stop the church from growing, I mean, that should have disqualified me right there is what he's saying. But whatever I am now it is because God poured out his special favor on me. Grace poured out. And not without results. In other words, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. 
and you have a part and God has a part. God is the one that places you in those positions. But you have to steward it well. And this is what Paul says now. He says, for I've worked harder than any, other of, the, any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was, who was working through me by his grace. In another text, Paul says, you know what? I'm like the, the worst of all sinners. And that didn't come because Paul took some survey and surveyed all the Christians in human history and, and listed out their sins and decided that he was worse than, than any of the others. It didn't come like that. But see, Paul was this guy that was so broken. Paul was this guy that was so vividly aware of his own sins that he could not conceive of anybody being worse than him. And there's something about brokenness. There's something about when you accept Christ. And when you accept Christ at such a deep level, it ends all comparisons. See, Paul wasn't comparing himself to anyone else. He just could not conceive that anybody's sins could be worse than him. See, one of the discouraging things or one of the depressing things in life is when we live in comparisons. Because when we live in comparisons, what we're usually doing, we're comparing our weaknesses to someone else's strengths. And when we do that, we'll always be discouraged. Because God has uniquely wired you, and he has uniquely wired me. And my gifts and strengths and abilities may not be someone else's gifts and strengths and abilities. See, I really believe that you should be able to say, by the will of God, I am a teacher, a nurse, a professional, a carpenter, a plumber, an accountant, an investor, a realtor. There's comfort in them. There's strength in that. I never forget when we, we came here in 1995 and planted the church, and a few years later, um, we wanted to buy a house. We finally sold our house in Houston, Texas, and, and um, I, I, I really didn't believe that we could qualify for a house. We changed professions. We had a, a new church, and, and uh, not a lot of people, and who's going who's gonna to give someone a loan based upon faith? And so I didn't really believe. The fact is, I, I, I literally thought it was a waste of time, and I've told the story many times. Brittany's here this morning, and, and Brittany actually found the house in the newspaper, and I, I refused to go. Because uh, I says, you know what, it, it's just not going to happen. And so Karen and, and called the realtor and made the appointment. And, and God confirmed to her in the kitchen, however that works in our house, uh, that this was the house for us. And so she called me and I, I raced down there and looked at the house. And, and on the way out, the realtor said, uh, so, and he was an elderly man. And, and he says, uh, he said, let me ask you a question. Are you guys ready to put a contract on the house? And Karen's like, I am. And I says, well, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't think I am because I, I, I don't think we could qualify. And, you know, I explained all the reasons. And, and so he just looked at me kind of puzzled. And he says, you know, son, this, this isn't about a sale because this couple's going to sell this house to someone in three days. They need to sell this house quickly. We're going to take the highest bid. So this is, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a sale. This isn't about a sale. And he kind of put his arm around me and he says, you know what, I'm, I'm a believer Fifteen years ago, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer. God healed me. And he said, let me ask you a question. If God can take care of my cancer, do you think he can help you to buy this house? <laughs> it's like, ouch. I mean, I'm the pastor. I'm, I'm the one that's supposed to say stuff like that. And I go, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know where he's going. And so, and then he, then he, he says, well, here's what I think you should do. 
He said, I, I think you should put a contract on this house and trust God and just see what he does. Let's just see what he does. And we did, and we bought the house, and closing was a pretty emotional thing with the realtor. And see, that was a realtor. We talked later. That was a realtor that knew he was called. It wasn't about selling houses. It, it was about relationships and meeting people. See, he understood that, man, I, I, I've been called. See, the, the sad thing is that so many people in America hate their jobs, right? And there are a lot of people that, that just, they just, they're just, they, they just hate their jobs, and there's a lot of people dissatisfied from their job, with their jobs. And uh, from the words of the great theologian Drew Carey, <laughs> says this, says you hate your job, there's a support group for that. It's called everybody. They meet at a bar. They're depressed. <laughs> Something happens when you and I understand that, guess what? By the will of God, I'm called. Whether it's the baseball team he's placed me on, whether it's, whether it's a basketball team he's placed me on, on, whether it's a school that he's put me in, whether it's a profession that he's put me in, whether it's a career that he's put me in, that I am, I am called. I mean, that I have purpose and I have meaning. And it's, it's just such a sad thing to see so many people dissatisfied with their jobs because you spend more time at your job than you do with your family than you do on your leisure activities, than you do on the weekend. And so it's a sad thing to see so many people unhappy in their jobs. Here a while back, University of Chicago did a, did a survey and they did a study. They wanted to find out what were, the, what were the happiest jobs in America and what were the least happiest jobs in America. And they set out on this journey. It was a year study that they used some students to do. And they were expecting to find out that the, the most satisfying jobs would be those that had the most status, that paid the most, had the greatest perks and benefits and all of those other things. And what they found was something totally and completely opposite. What they found was this, the happiest jobs in America are those jobs that are filled with people that are fulfilled through their job. That they know. That they know that they, they've, been, they've been created for this. They've been called for this. It was John Maxwell was the guy that says, you know what? Just do whatever you love to do. Just do whatever you have passion for. And you'll never work a day in your life. See, the Apostle Paul was able to say, I'm an apostle because I have been called. See, that's why it was, he was able to stand up against so, so much persecution. Because he knew he didn't put himself in that position. And as a result of that, he knew nobody could take him out of that position. Because there's comfort in that. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3.22 says this. He said, uh, so I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. I'm telling you, the main thing you bring home from your work is not a paycheck. The most important thing you bring home from your work is you. The most important thing you bring home from your work is your attitude. The most important thing about you is not the things that you're achieving on the professional scale. It's the person you're becoming. It's the person you are. See, the problem is the world, and this is what Paul was fighting, this is what we fight. The problem is the world does not teach us to pay attention to what matters. In a sense, we have two worlds to manage as believers. We have an external world. We have an outer world that would be our career, our professions, our educations, our possessions, our, our social networks, all of those other things. 
But we also have an inner world that is spiritual in nature. It's, it's where values are selected. It's where character is formed. It's a place where there's worship and confession and, and humility can be practiced. It's a place where there's this, there's this daily awareness of the presence of God. Listen, I'm working in my life more and more just to, just to have this awareness of the presence of God in every meeting I go in, in every encounter I have, that God is with me. That's why one of the psalmists says, I always uh, place the Lord before me. And he talks about this issue of just the presence of God. And there's this awareness of, of just his, his presence. And there's, there's personal worship plus corporate worship that equals a follower of Christ or equals a disciple of Christ or equals peace and contentment when there's, when there's personal, personal worship in your life through life journaling, through some other things. And then there's corporate worship as well. I mean, when you really look at it, there's, there's kind of like a life with God or a life without God. There's two camps of people. There's a life with God and a life without God. And, and a life with God is just not a bunch of religious do's and don'ts or, or things that we try to do. It's this life of inner peace. It's this life of grace and peace. It's this life of contentment to know that your life has purpose and your life has meaning. But there's a life without God. And it's just the opposite. It is death, and it'll kill your soul. I mean, our goal, and I know this may sound strange for a preacher to say, but our goal is not to sin less, because what would your focus be on? Your focus is on sin. Your focus is on the things that you're not supposed to do. God, Scripture tells us, God tells us, He wants us to focus on Him, to where we worship Him personally, corporate, to where we abide in Him, to where we open up His Word and there's this sense of grace and peace and comfort. And we understand that He is with us always. And so the Scripture teaches that He not only has a purpose and a plan for our life, He even determines the places where we live. This verse was huge to me when we were moving to Pueblo. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Here's what the Scripture says. For one man He created all nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. In the Greek, it says he, he, he determined the exact places where they shall live. His purpose. So he has a purpose. He not only has a purpose and a plan for your career, he has a purpose and a plan for where you live. He has a purpose and a plan for your life so that others will meet him. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far away from not far away from any of us. That's a huge statement that God, listen, God is not far from any of us. Sometimes I hear Christians say, you know, I'm going through this time, and I feel like my prayers aren't getting above the ceiling. Well, guess what? That's high enough. He is with you. A lot of times we talk in prayer like we're trying to get our prayer to heaven. His spirit dwells within us. He is with you. says he is not far from any of us. And Paul understood that God has a purpose and a plan for my life. And this purpose and plan for my life is so that I would help others, that I would seek him and I would help others. And he says in Philippians, he says, I, I, I just want to know the power. I want to know Christ, the power of the resurrection and the power of his suffering through quiet times and Bible studies and church and 
whether it's good seasons or bad seasons of life, it's, it's so unfortunate. So many people don't, they don't value the local church like they once did. They don't value personal worship and corporate worship like they once did. And the two go hand in hand. The two are both very, both very critical. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was, I was in the community and a, a man approached me and said, excuse me, aren't you, uh, aren't you Pastor Charlie? And I go, yeah, I am. And who are you? And he, he says, well, you're my pastor. I said, really? He goes, yeah. And he introduced himself to me. I said, well, can I ask you a question? How long have you been coming to our church? He says, six years. I said, six years? I says, listen, I'm pretty good at names, and I'm really good at faces, and I, I don't really, have we ever met? Nope, we never met. I says, are you sure it's been six years? He says, I'm, I'm positive. He says, you know what? I refer to myself as a CEO-only guy. I go, really? What does that mean? He says, that means Christmas and Easter only. <laughs> so, so he says, I just come on the big services. You probably have never seen me. I only come Christmas and Easter only. And I said, you happy with that? Because I wanted to know. And he said, I said, are you happy with that? And he kind of laughed and says, well, I, I, uh, I, I, I think I am. And I says, well, it... It's, it's funny about that because that may work for you except the last year of your life. Then it's going to be Christmas, Easter, and a funeral. And, the, and I says, but the good news is you'll increase your church attendance by, first, by 50% your last year of your life. And then we just started talking about the importance of church, of personal worship and corporate worship, telling you God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Man, you're significant to him. And he desires a relationship with you. And some of you this morning, you may just need to hear verse 2. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Forgiveness, acceptance. If God is for me, and he is. Who can be against me? In your career, in the workplace, in relationships? Because he has a purpose and he has a plan for your life. The second principle is this. God is not withholding anything good from me. A lot of times when we go through difficult times, and we're going to look at a story when they're going through difficult times, a lot of times when we go through those difficult seasons of life, and for me, that's just a mystery to me. That's a mystery of God to where God can take the good stuff and the bad stuff, the hurt, the pain, the, the betrayal, all of that stuff, and he can work it for my good. And so he is not, listen, he is not withholding what Scripture says. He's not withholding anything good from us. Uh, verse 3 all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with, with what? With every, in my Bible, that's like highlighted, that's like underlined, not just some of the blessings, just not part of the blessings, just not the ones you deserve or earn. He says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven, in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Now listen, two different times in the New Living Translation, there's actually three different times in the ESV, you see the word bless. Here's the interesting thing in the Greek. He uses three different Greek words for the word bless. The last word that he uses, blessed, is, is, a, is a Greek word, eulageo. Eulageo is where we get the word eulogy from. And eulogeo is this. Eulogeo says to speak well of. And so you need to understand this about, 
about God's eulogies, you need to understand about God's word. See, God's word speaks action. God's word carries action. Uh, God, when, when God eulogizes us, when God speaks well of us, it carries actions. Now, we're familiar with eulogies, right? We're familiar with eulogies at funerals. Our eulogies are past tense, right? So our eulogies, when we speak well of someone, when we give a eulogy, we're speaking past tense, not God. God's eulogies are present tense and future tense, always. Our eulogies have good words only. But his eulogies have good actions. Because God's word is powerful. God's word, see, see, we live in a world, and we live in a horizontal world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world, bunch of relationships. And we've all been around people where their words didn't line up with their action. We say talk is cheap. Well, see, with God, there's no such thing as talk is cheap. God's word always lines up with his actions. Remember the creation story. And God spoke the world in creation. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be water, and there was water. Let there be heavens, and let there be land that separates the water. Let there be moon and stars and all of those other things. And everything God created, God created with how? He created with a word. Because God's word creates action. Hebrews 11.3 tells us, by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see do not come from anything that can be seen. And Paul is trying to help them to understand that God not only has good words to us, but God has good actions to us. I'm telling you. If you don't understand that, you'll never trust him. See, your view of God will affect your life. And that's true for the Christ follower, and that's true for the atheist. God speaks well of us who blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. I mean, what are those blessings? Redemption. Salvation. Removes our transgressions. Does not punish us for our iniquities. Forgives our sin. Gives us wisdom and understanding. And he sealed us. And sometimes we don't understand the difference between transgressions and iniquities and some people think they're the same thing and they're not the same thing they're totally different iniquities is an inward motivation that drives us towards sin transgression is the external transgression is the is the outward movement so trans transgression comes from the word transgress which means to to cross a boundary to cross a line to physically cross a line to to physically cross a, a boundary and so, iniquity has more to do with the heart. Transgression has more to do with the action or has more to do with the, the hand. And can you believe this? God has forgiven us of both. He's forgiven us of those internal things, those impure things, and the outward things. He has forgiven us of the attitude and the action. Talk about a benefit of being a believer. That we don't have to live in the junk and the stuff of our past. I'm telling you, 
if we totally got the depths of his love for us, it would radically change our life. It radically change the way we view him. It radically change the way we view our jobs. We view our hobbies. We view our rhythms of life. And we would understand his presence and that he's always with us. The last principle about God's blessings and God's benefits is this, is that God saw me when I was a long way off. That God saw me and God saw you when you were a long way off. Verse 4, here's what the scripture says. Even before he, God, even before he made the world, God loved us. So he loved you before you could earn it. He loved you before you could deserve it. He loved you before you could do enough good stuff. He loved you. He loves us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now remember that the thought, remember the thought that God's words carries actions. And so in the creation story, when he said, let there be light and, and let there be water and, and let there be earth, even before he said that, he said, let there be Charlie and let there be Sue and let there be Bill. Let there be Paula. Let there be Jane. Before the creation of the world, he loved you and his desire for you should be holy and without fault. In other words, that you'd come into a relationship with you. He's already chosen you. And he waits for us to choose him. Genesis 2-7, when when the creation story, and it said God formed man. That Hebrew word formed is yashar, Y-A-S-A-R, yashar. And yashar is an interesting Hebrew word that was spoken of a, of a craftsman. It was spoken of, of, of a man that would take a piece of clay, and he would take that piece of clay, and he had molded it with a purpose in mind, and he would mold it into a, to a pot or an eating utensil, a plate, a bowl, or whatever. He had a purpose in mind. He just didn't sit down and start forming the clay and says, oh, I guess this is this. He had a purpose in mind. And he used that word when he created us. He created you with a purpose in mind. See, your blessings, your heavenly blessings were spoken before they happen because they have continual action. And that's why it's important that we seek him. Jeremiah 1.5 says, says this, says, I, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. In other words, he says, Jeremiah, my, my plan for you is to be a prophet. Ecclesiastes 11.5, just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the, the mystery, there's a mystery to God. See, see my fear is, is, is we're so educated now that we're trying to move the mystery out of God of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb so you cannot understand the activity of God. Who, who does all these things? I mean, there, there's things in my life. I can't understand how God was able to take the good stuff and the, and the bad stuff out of my life and bring good out of it. Psalms 119.73 says, you, you made me and you created me. And now just give me the sense to follow your commands. You see, God sees us from a long ways off. In other words, God chose us. He loved us before the cre creation of the world, before he created the world. And he is waiting 
for us to choose him and to follow him. Story in the Bible in Luke chapter 15, it's a famous story of the prodigal son that, that left his dad. His dad was the picture of a holy and a righteous and perfect God. And for whatever reason, the, the prodigal son took his share of the inheritance and left home and squandered it and, and, and wild living and, and everything else that was going on. And all of a sudden, the scripture says that the, that the young man, the prodigal, finally came to his senses and wanted to return home. And he returned home and he, he practiced his, his confession speech over and over and over. And here's what the scripture says in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And it didn't say, the scripture says, well, watch this, here's what the scripture does say. And his father, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. See, the father that was sitting on the front porch that was a picture of a loving, holy, and a righteous God didn't say, I'm going to make him pay. I'm going to accept him when he, when he works off uh, what, the money that he squandered or, or look through a, a pair of binoculars and say, he's dirty, he's, he's smelly, I don't want him, I'm going to reject him, I'm going to judge him, none of that stuff. The father went out and met him because he saw him from a long ways off. And the young man had rehearsed over and over and over a forgiveness speech. And he got to his dad and he says, Father, I have sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven and earth. Please forgive me. And his dad stopped him right there. And accepted him. And loved him. I'm telling you. See, he saw his son differently just as God sees us differently. He did not see his son as he was. He saw his son is what he could become because his eulogies are not past. His eulogies are forward. I'm telling you, God's crazy about you. God loves you. Listen, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. I mean, he's crazy about you, and he loves you. He desires to have a relationship with you. That you're not trying to find the good life in all these external things, but you find the good life in him, and then the external things take care of themselves. If, if God is for you, then who can be against you? Listen, God is not against you. I don't care the circumstances in your life. I don't care what's going on in your life right now. God is not against you. He has a purpose and he has a plan for your life. And he loves you. And in Christ, he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let me ask you this morning, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? What is he saying to you as a result of his message? And the only reason we ask for heads bowed, eyes closed is, is you know what, we... We don't want to walk through some religious exercise to where we, we just walk in and, and we walk out and we never encounter a, a living God and a holy God and we never give him that moment for us to make a decision. And for some of you, you, you make that decision throughout the worship service. But as you sit before him, let me ask you, what is God saying to you? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you as a result of this message? Maybe you just need to hear that he, he sees you from a long ways off. And he loves you and he offers you salvation. He has already chosen you. He is waiting for you to choose him. 
by just praying a prayer, asking him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and give you the gift of eternal life. Maybe you've already chosen him, and maybe you're a believer. Do you know your life has purpose and meaning? He wants to redeem your life. What is your next step? You see your career, your job totally different, the people that you work with different, people that you share with. Whatever your next step is, I would just pray that you would take that next step. This morning, if you're carrying a burden and say, you know what, I, I just, I need prayer. You don't need to be embarrassed by that. Every one of us needs prayer. I need prayer. The fact is, I need a lot of prayer. Everyone in this room needs prayer, so you're not alone. But if you're carrying a burden today and you say, you know what, I just like prayer. Then just a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. And if you're carrying a burden, if you need prayer, as you stand up after I pray, you just step out, begin making your way down. You don't have to walk along. Prayer partners will be coming with you. We have story after story what God has done in the front of this place. When people just humbled themselves and prayed, burdens have been lifted, prayers have been answered, needs have been met. If you're carrying a burden, we want to release that. We want to help you. So after I pray, we stand. You come if you need prayer. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for the power of your name, the power of your word. Father, we thank you that you have blessed us. And now, Father, may we seek you in prayer. May burdens be lifted. May prayers be answered as people respond to you, not to a pastor, not to a church but as they respond to you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.